Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. And uh, if you didn't, we're going to put a lot of scripture up on the screens tonight. I, I just need to tell you as we start, I'm going to read a, a substantial portion of scripture. Starting tonight and for the next three Wednesday nights, next two, this one and two more. So for three Wednesday nights, I'm going to be teaching on faith. And I hope that you will be able to be at all three of those. And if I get to the end of those three and I decide I haven't said everything I want to say, and next time I'm up on Wednesday night, you're going to get more faith. But for three, we're going to do these three at least on, on faith. Tonight, we're going to begin by talking about Abraham, and we're going to talk about some of the ways in which his faith is spoken of in the New Testament. Now, just imagine, if you will, that you have a private conversation with God in which he speaks into your heart a promise, and you believe him for it. And thousands of years later, the two major tributaries of thought about faith in the New Testament both rest on that simple conversation. That is exactly what happened. If you'll turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, if you will, please, the 15th chapter of Genesis, the first Six verses. It's wonderful to see you here on Wednesday night. As Brother Franklin always says, real Christians come on Wednesday night. We welcome all the pagans that come on Sunday. We're glad to have them in the house. But Genesis chapter 15. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram, in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. In other words, let me just paraphrase. He says, a servant born here is the senior person. I have no, I have no direct descendant. Everything that I've built, all of this wealth, all of this, all of this dynasty is going to go to a servant, to, to one born in the house, but not a direct descendant of me. Verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own loins shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. If thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he, that is Abram, and he believed in the Lord. Or if I could only paraphrase the the preposition, he believed on the Lord. And he counted it, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Verse 6 again. And Abram believed on the Lord. And God counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Now that's the conversation. Now thousands of years later, the New Testament writers, particularly 
Paul and James and the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is. Some believe Apollos, some say Paul. We're still arguing over who wrote Hebrews. But those three books, namely, base their major theological understandings of faith on this one brief conversation. So if you will, turn to the book of Romans now in the New Covenant, the fourth chapter, Romans chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, whom he did become Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision, in other words, those who have uh, received the right, the ritual of circumcision as Jews, or up only upon uncircumcision, or upon uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? No, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. In other words, that conversation that we just read in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15 happened before Abraham received circumcision from the Lord and taught it to the Jewish people. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believed, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they who are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For where there is no, where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those which are of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who giveth life to the dead and who calleth those things which are not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, and he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he, Abraham, considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, that what God had promised God was also able to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now turn to the book of Galatians, the third chapter. Paul is writing again. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you 
that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been openly set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now turn to James the second chapter of James. And before we read, this is the apparent argument between Paul the apostle and James over what is it, in what way are we justified before God? And I said apparent argument because I do not believe it is an argument. But the apparent argument is that Paul says we are justified by faith and faith alone. But now James says, look, we've all read what Paul wrote. And he says, I thank God for our brother Paul. That's the way I always start anything, any argument where I disagree with somebody. I thank God for you. And I just want you to know how much I love you. However, you're wrong. <laughs> but then he says, he says, look, was Abraham justified only by faith or did he live out his faith? Did he put his faith into action? It has been perceived that the argument was that Paul said we're justified by faith and James said we're justified by works. But that is not what it says. James says we are not justified by works alone apart from the way that we put that faith into action. So let's read now what James writes in the second chapter of James, verses 14 through 16. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled? Notwithstanding, you give them nothing, not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, he does not say, I do not have faith. He says, my works do not save me. I cannot be saved by works. But he says, if I am saved, you will be able to see it by the way that I live. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The demons also believe there is one God and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And here he appeals to the same conversation that Paul wrote out. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac or Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, after all that scripture is before us, let's pray. Father, we pray that in the next few moments that your Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, and speak to us. Lord, we thank you that the gift of faith is ours, and that even by this 
by faith the size of a mustard seed, we can turn against the mountains that stand against us and believe for our deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Salvation by faith is not simply believing that salvation works. It's not simply believing a ritual. It's not simply believing a creed or a doctrine of salvation. It is basing my eternal hope upon that which I cannot see. Behind the veil, on the other side, in the eternity of eternities, in the throne room of God, that poured out upon the mercy seat is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that that blood being an eternal sacrifice, the eternal blood of an eternal sacrifice is still just as wet and powerful as it was the day it was shed. And that I base my entire eternity on that which I cannot see. That that, that, that magnificent finished work is everything that I need to know that I'm saved. It's not just simply, it's not just simply saying, I believe this happened or I believe that happened. My whole eternity rests upon that which I cannot see. My dad, uh, who is 91, if he lives to October, he'll be 92. He is a veteran of two foreign wars, which is an unusual combination, both, both World War II and Korea and a tough guy. My dad was a tough guy. He's 92 right now. He cannot now at 92 run you down and kick your butt, but he thinks he can. <laughs> My mother is 89 and she can. <laughs> but my dad was a tough guy. He was called Rocky by his soldiers. He was an officer, particularly a tank commander in Korea. And uh, he was called Rocky by his soldiers. It was not altogether a term of endearment. But I can remember my dad. I wonder if any of the rest of you had dads who did this. When I was just a wee lad, he would stand me up on the dining room table and make me put my hands on my hips and close my eyes. And he would say, I'm going to stand behind you. I want you to fall straight back. Don't bend your knees. Don't turn your head. Don't open your eyes. Don't move your arms. Just fall backward off of that table. And he said, I'll catch you. <laughs> do you, do you know how difficult of a discipline that is for a six-year-old. So I, I, I would say, Daddy, talk while I fall. <laughs> Just keep talking. He'd say, no, I told you I'm here. I told you I'm here. I only have to say it once. I'm your father. I will not drop you. I will not miss you. I will not let you hit the ground. But I'm not going to talk the whole time. Close your eyes and fall. Never once ever did he drop me. Never once did he drop me. Now, that's an earthly dad with a kind of a, the kind of a dining room trick, I guess. But the principle is the same for our heavenly father. He says, I'm your father. I'm not ever going to drop you. I'm not ever going to miss you. I haven't forgotten you. I know right where you are. I know right what you're facing. If you will just close your eyes and rest, I'm right here. I'll never leave you.
Therefore, we believe in the finished work of Christ, which we cannot see. We can step through even the final door of death. Even there, we have nothing to fear. Even there. Because somebody so how do you know what will happen? How do you know what's on the other side? What will it feel like? What will you experience? I cannot answer all these questions for you. All I know is that my father will not drop me, not even then. Not even then. Even my eternity is settled. We trust, therefore, faith is trusting, therefore, entirely on that which we cannot see because God has said it, it is as though it is. Now, God says to Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram, I, I thank God that he is the father of faith and he is to be venerated and honored, but he was also altogether human. And he... He just, is it just Abraham, just Abraham and me? Are we the only two that have ever argued with God? Does anybody in this house know what I'm talking about? He says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram says, that's good. That's good. I really thank you. That means a lot to me. I'm a hundred. The old woman is 90. Things are not the same. <laughs> and right now, the only person that I can turn this entire... Abram was a very wealthy man. He said, the only thing I can turn this entire fortune over to is, is one of my administrators who was born in my house. He's from Syria. I don't even, I don't even have a descendant. And God says, look up and count the stars. If you can count those stars, you'll be able to count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God. And Abram believed God. Not a set of doctrines, not rules, not regulations, not the order of some prayer that you have prayed, but that God himself is not a liar and cannot lie, that he is the truth and the father of truth. Therefore, faith rests on the spoken word of God, then it is this. Listen to this. There are people who say to me all the time, I hear this all the time, I, I know God has forgiven me. I know God has forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said it? Then don't ever say it again. And don't, and don't let other people say it. When they say it, say this to them. This is, it sounds terrible. People say, I know God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Here's the answer to that. Well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Are you a more righteous judge than God? If God has forgiven you and God has forgiven you by grace and he says, if you can count the stars, then you can count the points of my grace. If you can count the stars, you can count the ways that I'll forgive you. If you can count the stars, you'll be able to account the number of eternity that you will live with me. If you can count the stars, you will count to the extent of my salvation. We can't count those things. He says, believe who I am. Believe who I am. I don't feel forgiven. I don't, I don't feel like I, I'm righteous. I don't feel these things. God says, I'm not talking about who you are. <laughs> Abram said, I'm a hundred. I'm a hundred years old. Not a lot of babies come. <laughs> I 
I'm a hundred years old. And God said, will you trust your own body or will you trust my eternal word? I have spoken this. So our salvation, our life, our eternal life, our eternity rests upon the spoken word of God. If anyone will confess his sins, God is faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. I can put my entire confidence in that declaration because my confidence is in the God who's spoken into existence. God cannot lie because God is the truth and the author of all truth. Therefore, I rest my eternity upon that. People say, can you explain this? All this faith is not a mystery. Faith is not a mystery. Faith is the active operation of that gift which God has put in you to believe what you cannot see. To say, I know the blood is on the mercy seat. I know that God sits upon his throne. I know that when I step through onto the other side that he will be waiting for me. I know that I've sinned and I know that I've been forgiven. I know that my eternity is anchored within the veil. I know that Christ died in my place. I know that the blood was sufficient. There's nothing that I can add to it. There's nothing I can do to make it better. And there's nothing I can do to cancel it out. It is done. It's finished. The work is mine and his, and his salvation is mine eternally. Now, if we can rest ourselves on that, if we can rest ourselves on that, we begin to live the life of faith. Now, there's the next part, and that is believing God in circumstances. Now, this is, this is where it begins to get a little dicey because in our circumstances, hearing from God personally in our circumstances where the general word of God the logos of God. That is where God says that our salvation is secure. That's a general word. That's for everybody. That's for every single one of you, every single one. But where that logos becomes a personal word, where logos becomes rhema, where God speaks to you, a specific word, that's where it begins to get a little dicier because we're humans. We hear everything we hear from God through the veil of our own fallen humanity. I, I, I'm always impressed with and amazed at these people that hear God about everything so plainly. Have you ever seen these people? God told me to wake up this morning. He did. <laughs> did he? I, and I'm like a blind man on the ledge with the word of God. This, this word I know. His eternal word, I know. The blood on the mercy seat, I know. The anchor within the veil, I know. But what God is saying to me right this moment, that's what I struggle with. To say, the Lord said, you know, when you, when you say to somebody, the Lord said to me, you know, you need to have the goods. <laughs> the Lord said, wouldn't it be nice if God would help us? Wouldn't it be nice? Have you ever heard people stand up in church and give a word of prophecy? They start, you know, with this. And you can tell from the first sentence that they've got one wheel in the ditch. <laughs> you know, right away, okay, this boy has not got the goods. You can tell, you can sense it. Everybody in the house can. And we're all cowed. We all sit there, oh, praise God. He's nuts. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if God would get into that? 
Somebody starts on with this, thus saith the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if the voice of God, no, I didn't. <laughs> this boy is on his own. <laughs> that's, that's the reason, that's the reason that we have to approach thus saith the Lord with a great deal of humility. We approach the eternal, unchanging logos of God with absolute confidence. But that's what, I always want to say, the Lord told me, I think. The Lord said to me, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I, I'm absolutely certain God revealed to me, kind of. Now, when that, when that rhema comes, when that rhema word comes, it's not going to be guesswork. It's not going to be maybe. It's not going to be almost. But I need to say to you that I also believe, I know this is a little controversial. What I'm, I don't think just everybody every day gets a rhema word from God. We live on the, we base our eternity standing on the logos word of God, the general word of God. That's where we stand. And when God grants that rhema, when that, when that breaks through the sound barrier, when you hear God, when he speaks, this is done. This is done. That's a whole different, that's a whole different level. And I don't, I don't believe there'll be a lot of guesswork in that. Now God guides us. He leads us. We have guidance. We have his word. We have wise counsel. We have brilliant preaching like this. We have those kinds of, it hurts me when you laugh at me. We, we have those kinds of things that we, we kind of inch our way into the guidance of God. But that's different from that rhema word. And you have to be careful because people will use what they, the rhema word that they hear may be nothing but their own glorified ego. You, you girls, listen to me. You single girls. When he says to you, the Lord has revealed that we're supposed to get married. Listen to what Dr. Ellen is telling you. Flee the wrath to come. Guys, when she says, when she says, the Lord told me, the Lord told me you're supposed to marry me. You say, praise God, the minute he says it to me, until then, I'm going to Africa. <laughs> you will not see me again until I have the same rhema you do. Because we, we, we can get all into that manipulation and that weirdness and, and everybody, you know, trying to, we have dueling ramas. The Lord told me, well, he told me, you know, really? Did he what change his mind? Was he, maybe he was confused. No, I think when the rhema word of God bursts, not only through a person, but into a situation, it'll be settled. God said to Abram, I will make your descendants like the stars of the sky, like the sands of the seashore. And Abram didn't say, well, I don't know. I, am I hearing from God? Is that the Lord? Is that just me? He said, I believe you. I believe you. It was so clear, so settled, so absolute that God counted it to him as righteousness. Think what that means. God counted it to him as righteousness. Much of the New Testament is based on that one moment of the encounter of a rhema word and the righteous faith of a gentleman. Now, the next thing is this, third thing. 
And that is the issue of action. Yes, faith. Yes, faith. Yes, we believe God. But sooner or later, that has to work itself into the extremities of our life. It has to change the way we talk and the way we treat each other and the way we live. And Our actions must spring up out of that. This is what James is writing about. He's saying, don't just tell me you believe God and you have all this kind of faith, and then you just go on living like you've always lived. There's got to be some change. I, I know you can't be saved by works, but is, if you're saved, don't your works get changed? That's, that's what he's saying. I don't see a conflict between Paul and James, as so many have seen. I see the confluence of two great tributaries of thought. That we are saved by faith and faith alone. But when we are saved, the reason you don't die the minute that you get saved is because God is giving you a chance to try a few works. Works won't save you. But if you're saved, let's, let's see something. Come to church and say, I believe in God for my salvation. Talk to your wife on the way home like she's a dog. I believe God for my salvation. Steal money from your company. I believe God for my salvation. Keep a woman on the side. At some point or another, James says, all that faith has to get translated into action. Not just the general logos word, but also that rhema word. That rhema word. See, it comforts me. Probably it doesn't comfort anybody else here. I like knowing that the great patriarchs of the faith occasionally fouled up. Does that help anybody else or just me? If they are perfect and sinless and do everything right, and then I look at my life and I say, well, there's no hope for Rutland. But I like it when Abraham absolutely fouls it up. God says, do you believe me? Do you believe that I can do this miracle? I believe you, Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And then we've got this crazy little business with Hagar. Sarah says, Sarai says, look, God's not coming through. I'll tell you what let's do. Take my maid, get her pregnant, and then I'll claim the child as mine, and we'll just help God. We'll just force God's hand a little bit. Well, here's how that worked out. Hagar's child is Ishmael, and the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham, that's the reason we prayed the way we did when we started. Now, you rush past God when you've had a rhema word, and you may give birth to an Ishmael that'll trouble you for the rest of your life. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. I talked with a boy about 15 years ago, came to me. He said the Lord had revealed to him he was going to be a great evangelist. He said, I, I feel that my future, I'm going to be like Reinhard Bunke or, or Billy Graham or somebody or Oral Roberts. I said, oh, that's great. I said, I'll believe with you. Thank God when you receive a word like that, isn't it so wonderful? And I said, w I'm just so excited to see how the Lord brings that all to pass. He said, oh, he's bringing it to pass. He's bringing it to pass. He said, I've, I've rented the uh, Atlanta Civic Center. I said, you did? I said, that's kind of expensive. And oh, he said, I got a loan. 
He said, he rented the Atlanta Civic Center. He said, we're going to, I'm going to have a crusade. I said, when? He said, in two weeks. I said, I'm going to say back to you what I'm hearing. And let me make, because I'm not sure I'm hearing you right. So I'm going to say it back to you. And you tell me if this is, that you heard the Lord say, you're the next Reinhardt Bunky. You've borrowed money, rented the Atlanta Civic Center in two weeks. He said, that's it. I said, well, what about, you know, advertising, parking, paying that loan off, getting the crowd, dealing with things like ushers, uh, all of that kind of thing. What, what about all of those questions? He said, God has spoken. He'll take care of all those details. My, my strong suspicion is he's still paying that loan off. That's, a, that's that horrible moment where you feel you've acted on a rhema word from God and there's nobody there except your wife and the janitor and you're paying him and she's mad. No, when you receive what you think is a rhema of God, you can't manipulate and twist the situation around. That's not operating in faith. It's actually operating in the opposite of faith. That is to say, I can't wait on God. I won't believe God. I won't let God bring it to pass. I'm going to force the situation. Abraham and Sarah caused a situation that is still doing damage even to this day. But there were times when he was moving in such powerful obedience where his faith in God, who God was, became such a model for us leaving Ur of the Chaldees. Get up and go where I show you. I see my own carnality reflected in so many of these stories. I know what I would have said. I mean, I don't want to be like this, but I know I would have said, this is so good. How about talking to my wife? Because he had to go in there and say to Sarah, okay, pack everything up, load it on the camels, let's fold the tents, say goodbye to our friends, we're never coming back here, we're leaving, where are we going? Now, see, now that, that's, a, that's, that's the one thing that I'm not sure about that. Are we going east, west, north, or south? Well, now see right there, you've come to the second thing. When are we leaving? Oh, in the morning, that's clear to me. No, you see, that's that moment where Abram's obedience is so powerful, so clean, so magnificent, the rhema word so clear, and he acts in obedience. But here is the, here is the masterpiece moment. And that is this. Abraham is now old, well stricken in years. God has fulfilled the promise. Sarah did get pregnant. She did give a baby in her 90s, in her 90s. Some woman says, this is not a blessing. <laughs> Was God mad at her? No, this is, this is the miracle they've waited on. Finally, she has a baby in her 90s. Okay, it's all there. And the baby grows. He's now a lad, 12, 13, 14. The Bible is not clear, but it says a lad. He's a, he's a big boy, big enough at least to carry a load of wood. We know that. And God says to Abram, God will never make it easy for you. God will tell you the truth. Listen to this. He says, take thy son, Isaac, thine only son, whom thou lovest. 
He doesn't cut a single corner. Take now thy son Isaac, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the mountain that I will show thee, and there offer him for a sacrifice. And it says, Abraham got up the next morning. The next morning. See, everybody wants a word, a rhema word, that's all blessing and no challenge. Everybody wants a rhema word about how God is going to fix everything. Nobody wants a rhema word that is going to cause pain or difficulty or hardship or obedience when obedience makes no sense. That rhema word may be, yes, I'm going to bless you. Yes, I'm going to heal your business. Yes, I'm going to take care of your marriage. Yes, that child will come home. That rhema word might be, humble yourself and go next door to your neighbor and ask for forgiveness. That can also be a rhema word. Can also be a rhema word. You've damaged your wife. You have damaged your wife. This is on you. Look at the pain she's in. Look at the, at the agony in her life. Look at, look at who she is. You've done that. Now humble yourself and live it out. Walk it out. No matter how long it takes. That can also be a rhema word. <laughs> That's when everybody says, here am I, Lord. Send him. That rhema word is real too. Take thy son Isaac, that thing that you love, that thing that means everything to you. Take that and sacrifice it. Have done with it. He takes the lad and a servant and they go to the mountain that God shows him. There it is. He tells the servant, wait here. Now listen to what he says. I and the lad will return. I and the lad will return. There's some faith operating in that. I don't know how this is going to happen, but we'll be back, both of us. And he takes fire in a portable fire pot, carries it with him, knife in his belt. The little boy's carrying the wood. Listen to this agonizing conversation. Isaac says, Daddy, I see the, I see the fire. And I see the knife, and I've got the wood. Where are we going to get a sacrifice? Everybody wants a rhema word. Are you sure? Are you sure? Listen to what Abraham says. God will supply himself a sacrifice. It's a very confusing verse of scripture in Hebrew and in English. It doesn't say God will supply for himself. It says God will supply himself a sacrifice. He ties the boy's hands and feet, lays him up on the wood, raises the knife, and all of his muscles bunch to plunge that knife into the breast of his child. And an angel says, Abraham. He says, here I am, Lord. He says, don't do that. That's not my will. Now I know. Now I know that your righteous faith would yield anything and everything to me. Now I know who you are. Now I understand the depth of our relationship. Now I know. And it says, Abraham looks behind him. And there, caught by its horns in a bramble bush, is a ram. 
2,000 years later, another father would take his son by the hand, lead him up the same hill, and no one would cry stop. No one would cry halt. That son died. That son was nailed to a cross on the same hill. On the same hill, God supplied himself a sacrifice. Every now and again, someone will say, say, how's the situation going? And they'll just say, well, we're living by faith. We're living, have you ever heard that? We're living by faith. Look up here at me. All of us are. It just every now and again, we have enough shekels in our pocket to where we think we're not living by faith. But we're living by faith. Every single one of us. That's not the bad part. That's not the scary part. That's the wonderful part. We're living by faith in a God who will never drop us, never leave us, knows exactly where we are. Stand up and let's magnify the Lord in this place. Go on and praise him. Lift your hands up and praise him. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.